You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. Alice, thank you so much for, for being with us um, this morning. It'd be great just to kick off by perhaps telling us, obviously, what is Bath Wells, what is Bath Welcomes Refugees? I can't even say it. <laughs> and perhaps tell us a bit about how you came to be involved. Yes, well, I wrote the first bit down, which comes off our website, because I think it's important to get it right. So Bath Welcomes Refugees is fairly obviously a charity based in Bath, and we're supporting refugees. But as our website says, local people working directly with refugees and asylum seekers to build new lives. I can put my glasses away now. (laughs) And I became involved. It's a grassroots organization. Uh, We became a registered charity about a year after the organization was first started uh, by a group of local people who met in a pub and talked about the situation in Bath and said, oh, isn't it terrible? Nobody's supporting the refugees in Bath. Uh, And that's how it grew. And about six months after the charity started, I became involved as a teacher teaching English to a family of refugees. And... um, I've been with them ever since, yeah. Fantastic. I feel like so many good ideas happen with a group of mates in the pub, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so fantastic that it came from that. So you, you've said about your current role, so your, your role is around language. And so what does that look like sort of on a week-to-week basis? Um, about a year, I suppose, after I started teaching, I became the language support coordinator, which means that I actually coordinate all the teachers. We have a team of over 60 teachers at the moment currently working with us. They're all qualified and experienced teachers, which is amazing. And we're very lucky in Bath that we have a lot of um, uh, people with a teaching background and we have a lot of retired people in Bath who have the time to give up to volunteer, which is also wonderful. Um, So I coordinate um, interviewing the teachers, checking their information, DBS, everybody has to be DBS checked to make sure they don't have a criminal record. Everybody has to go through a safeguarding course to make sure that they understand the needs, the concerns around working with refugees, being aware of the sort of stories that came up in your video of what their journey might have been like. Um, And then I match the learners to the teachers as much as possible. And we, we also teach um, currently five group classes every week, um, one in a safe house for um, asylum seekers who've been trafficked, four uh, currently online for um, refugees and other migrants. We, we, we run open classes, so anyone that wants to learn English can come for free and learn. So it's designed for the refugees, but it's absolutely open to anyone that's come to the city that would like to learn English okay how, how many languages are you sort of like working with <laughs> um, most of the people that come to our language classes are Arabic speakers most of the refugees are Arabic speakers the ones coming in now are partly Farsi speakers the Afghans um, or could be um, it's actually called Dari in Afghanistan the language it's it's very similar to Farsi um, and then also Pushtu which is the other big Afghan language. So those are the main ones that we have people in the safe house, for example, who have um, backgrounds from Africa, Asia, the Far East, South America, 
and Eastern Europe as well. So we, we have a, a, a multi-nations uh, collection of people learning <laughs> English. Strange. Gosh, that must be really challenging. <laughs> uh, well, it's lovely. They're, it's very rewarding, I think. Um, it's a lovely job to do because I think people are very grateful. It can be very expensive to learn English in this country. And um, to have free lessons, I think, is something people are very grateful for. That's incredible. Right. Um, and then just out of interest, you know, don't really have an understanding of it sometimes from the news or what we hear locally, but how many refugees sort of roughly are there in Bath? Um, and do you think, are there, are there more arriving due to what's happened recently in Afghanistan? Absolutely. There's more arriving all the time. Um, we, we work with over a hundred, um, mostly Syrians, that arrived, if you like, in the first few waves of refugee resettlement in Bath. So the Syrians mostly came through something called the Vulnerable Persons Resettlement Scheme or Syrian Vulnerable Persons Resettlement Scheme. And then more recently, we've worked with a lot of Afghans coming through the Afghan Resettlement Scheme. Um, so they are the sort of incoming families at the moment, or all Afghani, and we expect to have... I think three families are here currently who've arrived in the last couple of weeks. We expect another five families before Christmas. So we'll be working with another potentially 50 to 60 people amongst those families. Okay, and how, um, what's, because I know that the only, the only way that we're accepting refugees at the moment is through these resettlement schemes, is that right? So unless there's a, a scheme that's open, we're not, there aren't refugees coming to... Yes, country. I mean, I'm, I'm sure people know the difference between refugees and asylum seekers, but just a sort of quick, quick <laughs> referral. So a refugee is someone that's come to this country, they have the right to remain in this country, um, they've been through a process in the country they come from, um, which is usually managed by the IOM, International Organization of Migration, who fingerprint them, check their background history, make sure that they don't have any criminal records or that they've not been involved in terrorism and so on and so forth. And the government policy at the moment is to take those refugees from refugee camps. So they've probably come from Jordan, Lebanon, Iraq, uh, or Turkey. Um, an asylum seeker is someone who is seeking asylum, <laughs> who is not yet being given refugee status. Um, we, we also work with asylum seekers. We don't just work with refugees. Asylum seekers can come to this country through a variety of ways. They might come on an aeroplane and then ask, then seek asylum. They might walk across Europe. We, we come across quite a few people that have literally walked or hitched or, or hung on the back of a lorry or underneath a lorry to cross parts of Africa, boats across the Mediterranean Sea, across Europe and Leaky Boat. We, we do work with a few people that have come here by that route. We also work with people who don't know how they got here. They may have been trafficked into the country. They may not have any idea whether they came by boat or whatever because they were in the back of a lorry somewhere or they were in, the, in a container. Um, and they literally don't know if they were flown here or if they came by boat here. So we work with asylum seekers as well. Their journey is obviously very different. Okay. And on that then, I mean, it's, it's hard, isn't it, for lots of us to imagine the experience mm. of a refugee and, you know, what, and I know each journey must be unique, but what can you tell us about, you know, what that experience is like for those that you work with? It's, it's horrible. I mean, it's, it's for an asylum seeker coming, 
I mean, obviously, I can't discuss any individual stories, but we're talking sometimes about children, 15, 16 years old, who've left in search of a better life or because their life has been destroyed and they've come with nothing. And if they've come through Libya, Libya is a very dangerous country for asylum seekers, particularly women. Um, and this isn't just, I mean, I'm talking about the ones that come to Bath, but um, for example, women crossing on the um, train from South America, trying to get to America, I, be I believe the rate is 80% of women on that route are raped on the way. In fact, a lot of the women actually take prophylactics before they go because they know they're going to be raped. Um, it, it, which is the reason why we tend to see far more male asylum seekers make the journey, succeed in the journey, but even the men are obviously not um, protected from, from the dangers of the route. It can be a, a, a terrible situation. They can be tortured. I mean, we looked at it in the video. They can be physically and mentally harmed in so many ways. Um, and then obviously the fear of getting on a boat. Though I spoke to someone recently and said, weren't you frightened getting on a small boat to cross the channel? And he said, no, I was so happy. It was the end of my journey. So, yeah. <laughs> imaginable yeah okay and then what about um when they actually then sort of arrive here what are some of the the main issues that a refugee might have faced in in the city of bath you know they kind of <laughs> arrive and what you know tell us about what, what are the main challenges i think it's a very frightening thing arriving in bath whether you've come through a regular route or an irregular route um and for me as a teacher of English, obviously I think one of, the, one of the biggest challenges is the language. A lot of people come here with no English at all, and, um, and language is a gift that we can give them, and it's a, it's a very valuable thing, because I don't think, I'm, I'm sure a lot of you have traveled abroad, I know I've traveled quite a lot abroad, it can be very frightening to be in a country where you don't speak the language, where you don't understand what the signs say, where you can't ask someone for help because you, you don't speak their language. So I, th I think language is a huge thing, um, and 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 being able to become in independent. So I think a lot of the men, in particular, the first thing they want is is to get a job. They want a job, and they want uh, a car, <laughs> preferably. They want to be able to drive because those are signs of their independence. And to do those things, th they need the English language. So I, th I think that's one of the biggest challenges for for refugees. It kind of sounds like learning English is almost the, the kind of gateway, it, isn't it? It's, it's a keystone. Else. It's yeah. a keystone. Yeah, yeah. Is it right? Because I'm guessing that you must, you know, that some people come from countries where they, you know, they have qualifications. They, you know, they can drive, and then suddenly, even if they they have access to a car, their license isn't valid, or they is that some of that stuff must be absolutely as well. yeah. yes. Um, so you're allowed to drive for the first year on an international license. Um, but then you have to take a test, and obviously that's a theory test as well as a practical test. And the theory test is very hard for people that don't speak English. It, it, they can take it again and again and again and again, and trying to learn by rote um, what the questions are and how to pass it. And then having their car, you know, their, their driving taken away from them, it's another... Um, very difficult thing, you know, that loss of independence when they thought, oh, you know, I'm here and I can actually drive. Of course, the expense of a car is also prohibitive. <laughs> but but sometimes, you know, they can borrow secondhand ones and things like that. And if they have got a job, it's something that's quite important to them, um, being able to get around. But 
it's also something they've been used to. I think most of these people have come from, as you say, they've had jobs, they've had a car, they've had a home. I mean, and, and actually the conditions in countries like Syria in the past have been such that I've had a rural worker, a, a man that worked on the land, say to me, I had a seven-bedroom house in Syria before I came here, and now I'm living in this tiny little flat. Um, and, and, and so their sense of loss, they've lost their families, they've lost their friends, they've lost their possessions, they've lost their independence, and I think their independence is one of the greatest losses that being able to provide for your family, being able to look after your family in the way they're used to. And so much of that stuff involves money, isn't it? So I was thinking about the fact that, you know, when you retake your theory test several times, you have to pay each time, don't yeah. you? And that's, it's, not, it's not cheap to pass no. a driving test. And so no. that must be, yeah. And, and it's very hard because initially, before they can get a job, and if they can't get a job because of English, it may take a little while for them to get work, or they can't get a job doing what they were doing. So we've got lawyers, doctors, people like that, that obviously can't work in those fields without the language. So whatever they're doing, they're surviving off very small amounts of money for, the, for certainly the first year or two or more that they're here. And, you know, we often say at Bath Welcomes Refugees, it, it feels awful sometimes to bring them here to see them live in poverty, um, which is hard. So, what, so tell us a bit more about what Bath Welcomes Refugees does. So you've mentioned that you obviously have the English classes, which is amazing. So what are some of the other ways that you support refugees? We, um, we look for housing. We, we are always on the lookout for landlords who are prepared to take the local housing association rate to have um, refugees or asylum seekers live in their homes. We're also always on the lookout for foster families who are prepared to take unaccompanied minors um, who are often asylum seekers but could also be refugees um, into their homes. Um, and because we get children as young as 14, 15 who, who in need of foster care. Um, so we look for houses, we do them up, we furnish them, um, often decorate them, um, and then every aspect of the house will be made ready for a family to come. So it will have food in the, in the cupboards, it'll have a hot meal cooked by people that come from there area from the Middle East usually ready for them it will have winter clothing the beds will be made um, there'll be pictures um, for the kids you know sort of alphabets to stick on the wall or something like that um, we also always put a laptop into every house and we think it's one of the most important tools for learning English and we put a television in even though it's not on there's a home office list of how you have to kit out a house um, we also put a television in because also it's a very vital learning source. Um, and then we, we have social events, fundraising, IT, <laughs> very important. <laughs> Shari, who's here, is our IT person and she's absolutely amazing. And she, um, with another person, have just put, uh, put together a new website for Bath Welcomes Refugees. Um, and then we have um, befrienders, teams of befrienders around every family who work with the family, showing them around our city, um, getting them library cards, discovery cards, taking them to, showing them the places of worship, which might be the mosque, it might be the church, 
um, we, we, we deal with Muslims and Christians and um, actually I don't think we have any Jewish refugees but we would obviously <laughs> um, at the moment I don't think we do but we have both Muslim and Christian refugees and asylum seekers and um, so uh, taking them to their first day of school which can be very frightening um, showing them how to use the buses how to get around uh, and so on and so forth and then the teachers that, that work usually in the family homes working one to one teaching in the family homes and supporting the schools and sometimes uh, volunteers going into the schools and working as uh, teaching assistants, as volunteer teaching assistants to help the children when they first start. Brilliant. Awesome. I'm sure there's Amazing. lots more we do, but <laughs> <laughs> we have a gardening team. We have a, um, hang on, uh, DIY team. We have a, um, yeah, Shari? Okay. <laughs> that was language donation, gardening. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. just setting it down the microphone for anyone catching up on the podcast. Great. Yeah. Yes, social media teams. Yeah. And campaigning. Campaigning is a really important part of what we do, making sure people are aware of the current situation for refugees and asylum seekers, getting the message out to people. And there's lots of amazing people in Bath who are, well, who are willing to help in different ways. But obviously that has to be managed. So recently we had huge collections of both food and clothing for incoming Afghan families, which was wonderful. I mean, we had such generosity from people in the city. Um, we, we ended up with so many tins of food and I mean it was it was incredibly heartwarming to see yeah, it and great. also fantastic amount of clothes we held a free shop for them all to come and pick what they wanted from the free shop to to take clothes away and they were taking big bags of of, of, of things with them because obviously as I said a lot of them live in you know with with very little money yeah. so having that those gifts of food but but all that has to be managed so people were sorting it washing things um, and and then delivering it out to the families as well. So yeah, wow, great. <laughs> yeah, lots. So I suppose obviously there's there's ways that people can get involved with with those kinds of roles, that the things that you do. But um, more sort of locally and generally speaking, what are some of the ways that we just as kind of people that live in Bath can be welcoming towards refugees? I think my favourite saying: a smile is the same in every in every country and every language um, welcome. I mean, that's what we do, welcoming. It's in our name. Welcoming is a really important part of what we do. Um, there have been some hate crimes in the city. We've had women who've had their hijabs ripped from their heads. We've had a lot of language thrown at us. Um, you know, it, it's extending that kindness and thoughtfulness. I've walked through Bath and seen three women in hijabs just looking for directions. As far as I know, they weren't refugees or asylum seekers. They were just asking for directions. And three lots of people walked past them, just cut them dead. And, you know, this is not, this is not how we want to behave in our city. This is not the sort of thing we want. So I think being aware of, of what the current situations are, you mentioned the anti-refugee bill, uh, the nationalities and borders bill that's being um, reviewed at the moment in, in Parliament. Um, really important to understand how that will affect people coming into our country by irregular routes. It's going to be incredibly difficult for asylum seekers in the future um, 
to, to get a lawyer, to get a voice, to get any kind of support, um, because they'll be offshored. Um, the plan is to offshore them to somewhere like Ascension Island, um, where they won't have people like Bath Welcomes Refugees and all the other refugee charities around the country. They won't have that support. Um, and they won't have access to legal help. Um, and, it, and it can be incredibly difficult for them. So just being aware of the situation yeah. and welcoming people you see who look as if they might be new to the city. Yeah, yeah. And actually, it's funny, isn't it? Because you, you hear about it and it just feels like such an overwhelming. And you think, oh, you know, how can I, like, if you don't have much time or you, don't, you feel like you can't make a difference, but actually just smiling, you know, smiling yeah. at someone in the street or just you know, being friendly and chat, you know, it's, it's amazing how much actually some of the smaller things are things that make a big difference and make people feel welcome. Yeah. So there's a, there's some of the, it's a challenge, isn't there, that it isn't always the big stuff. It's and sometimes just And with things. the children as well. I mean, you know, if you've got children or grandchildren, as I have, <laughs> going into schools, being aware that the new kid in school might be lost because they don't speak English and they don't understand what's going on and they just need someone to make them feel safe and make them feel uh, welcomed. It's, it's quite simple. Yeah. And, and I think instilling that message in your young people as well yeah. is very important. Mm, definitely. Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned some of the lobbying and, and I've, you probably were from what I said earlier that we have kind of written to, to our MP about um, those bills. Which is great. In your view, you know, what, what's helpful for us to keep doing in terms of that wider like lobbying and campaigning angle? Um, we have a lovely new website. <laughs> Good work, Sherry. We're also, as Sherry said, um, we, we have um, uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Being aware of the situation, there's a lot of refugee organisations. The, the recent um, uh, call, if you like, for people to stand together against the Nationalities and Borders Bill to try and get it changed. Um, if we can, we can't get it stopped, but we might be able to get it changed. Um, the, the coalition of people under the under the heading together with refugees um, and a lot of refugee charities all across um, the UK are involved with that, making sure that people are aware of the situation and understand how devastating it could be for other people's lives coming in uh, coming into coming into the UK. I think just being aware and um, and yeah, that's the most important thing. And and spreading the word, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and and supporting refugee charities if you are able to. Um, it's great. Yep. Yeah. So we can maybe follow you guys on social media, and you'll update. I think you'll update, won't you, on sort of the bills and any protests or any any kind of action yes. that we can sort of join in with. Well, it was on social media that we sent out messages saying um, we're collecting food, and yeah. we didn't expect to get such a fantastic response. You know, it was it was really incredible. We, I was picking up every day. I was picking up bags and bags of food every day, and that was just one of the drop off points. Um, there were several of us picking up bags every day from different drop off. But fantastic. You know, that um, if you're able to give something, whether it's a tin of beans or whether it's, you know, a, a few pounds or pennies even, you know, it, it all helps. Okay, brilliant. Um, and then, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of stories you can tell, but <laughs> but personally, what, what are some of the ways, some of the things that you've learned or, yeah, just your reflections on your involvement through Bath Welcomes Refugees? 
Um, well, I think you said what was the sort of wow moment in, in my work with, with the refugees. When I started teaching, um, I'd literally just done a TEFL course and I sort of happened to come across... In fact, I don't think I'd even finished it. I said, oh, do you need teachers? Because I think it's, as I said, I think of English as a gift. I studied English at university and I think it's really important um, to... to to give that gift on to other people. Um, so I did a TEFL course, and I wanted to work with people in this country for free. And so I came across Bath Welcomes Refugees, and they said, oh, yes, you can come and teach here. So they said, meet us on Tuesday, and we'll take you to meet the Syrian family. And I didn't get much background at the time. And I got to the family, and they said, oh, these are the children you're teaching. I said, children? children. <laughs> I didn't know I was teaching children. Um, and no experience teaching children at all. And they had no English at all. And for the first three weeks, we just had, did heads and shoulders, knees and toes, and they didn't know what that was. And for the few weeks after that, we'd do ABC and play games with English, and they didn't obviously couldn't read or write or anything. And I worked with them for four and a half years. And at the end, I was trying to elicit we, we had one of those rhyming books, the Dr. Zeus books, and I was trying to elicit the word rhyme, what do all these words have in common? And one of the boys turned around and said, is it onomatopoeia? <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought, okay, my work here is done. <laughs> you don't need me anymore. Wow. And they kept saying, why aren't you coming anymore? Well, you don't need me. You're doing fine. So, yeah, it's fantastic to see people learn and develop and become independent and and just you know enjoy the language yeah, that's great and do you find that you know with with the support that's offered um you know, is that what happens is it possible to kind of settle and and be and move on and be happy and you know is that kind of I think it is, though I think I, I would say one thing about that. Um, we work closely with Julian House, who also worked with refugees. We work closely with Baines, um, supporting refugees. Um, Julian House obviously had paid workers. We're an entirely volunteer organization, though we've just taken on our first paid worker. Um, but Julian House only worked with the refugees for five years, and so do Baines if they're working with a refugee family. After five years, you're expected to be independent, you're expected to be standing on your feet, you're expected to be, you know, looking after yourself, and, and support is withdrawn, though BWR carries on with the support. And something I've noticed recently when we're helping families that have been here for more than five years, filling in forms can be incredibly difficult. So one of them wanted a travel document to visit family in Turkey. And the, the forms that they have to fill in for something like that, or if they want to become UK citizens, um, if they want to, um, to, to get a passport, take their um, life in the UK test. These are all really difficult things to do. And, you know, they, they often still need help with things like that, even once th their English is, is fairly good, just because it's, it's complicated. And it's also very expensive becoming um, a citizen. I don't know if anyone here has become a citizen, but it's if you've got a family of five, two adults, three children, it's something like a thousand pounds each person. It's um, yeah, prohibitively expensive. Yeah. So why, we help. We still why? help financially yeah. with, with families, and um, and we still help um, with, with with anything. That, you know, we're still there if they need us. So okay. 
And what like what is the cost? Why is that so expensive? Is that just what the government that's says just to what go the through the process? Basically? Yeah, that's just what it costs. Yeah. Um, and even getting their indefinite leave to remain. So the initial families that have been here more than five years were given five years leave to remain when they first arrived. Um, but then they had to apply for indefinite leave to remain because they've wanted to stay in this country, certainly for now, because the situation in Syria has not improved and it would be dangerous for them to go back, even if they, you know, a lot of them would love to go back if it was safe to do so. Um, so they've decided to stay here and their children obviously have a future here now. They're at school, they're doing well. Um, so to get that indefinite leave to remain again is over a thousand pounds per person and um, yeah it can be massively expensive there's a lot of very expensive steps that go on through a refugee life yeah so it's that kind of ongoing long-term support even if even if further down the line you know there's po positive steps and language has been learned and they've kind of settled and there's actually yes. still hurdles aren't there even further down well those so. hurdles are here i mean just slightly off target my sister-in-law is um actually from germany originally but she's worked for the national health for 30 years and she never bothered to become a british citizen even though her children are british um until recently and she had to take though she'd worked for the national health for 30 years she had to take the life in the uk test she had to be tested on her english and she had to pay over a thousand pounds for British citizenship. So the whole process cost her a couple of thousand pounds. And that's someone that's worked for the NHS all her life, basically. Um, yeah. So it, it's not just refugees. Um, it, it is an expensive process. Um, yeah. And, and, and I'm, I'm sure you've all heard the term hostile environment. The, the government for some time now, uh, not just this government, it's, I think Thatcher introduced it in the 1980s, um, the hostile environment for asylum seekers, um, making it um, as prohibitive as they could for them to settle in this country. So A, making it very difficult for them to get refugee status, but, but then very expensive for them if they did get refugee status to to, to, to make those steps forward in terms of citizenship and everything else. <laughs> I will be silent about, <laughs> yeah. about my we're, we're an apolitical organization, <laughs> I should say. <laughs> yeah, we try to be, we try to be. <laughs> okay, great. We're gonna have um, a break just to allow people to write some questions for you in a minute. But just finally, I mean, what are the, I mean, you've mentioned already about just awareness. And so we can obviously follow Bath Welcomes Refugees on social media. And what, what are some of the other ways that people can help support get involved? Um, we, we, as I said, if you're following us on social media, you will see call outs all the time. So we might right. say, oh, we need to put a new front door in XYZ house for a refugee and it's going to cost us £100. And if anyone wants to chip in, that would be very nice or something like that. Or we might say we're collecting food. We might say we're collecting clothes. We, um, we also work very closely sending um, convoys to Calais every six months, ideally, sometimes more than that. And we often have call-outs for clothes for Calais. That would be men's clothes, um, warm clothes. Um, it's always very specific, which is why you need to sort of check social media. And we've got some lovely offers of people saying, I've got this, I've got that, can I give it to the refugees? But it, it, it's always a very specific things we need. So for the men in Calais, for, for the young men, often unaccompanied minors again in Calais, 
Um, it, it's jeans, waterproofs, jackets, bubbly hats, warm anything warm, gloves, socks, underwear, things like that. It, it's 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 quite specific, um, and and usually in in small sizes because they've been hungry for some time. Um, yeah. And what about for people that aren't on social media? Is there like a mailing list they can sign up to or anything uh, like yes, that? Yes, absolutely. Go to our website. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Go to our website. Become a member. It's entirely free to become a member of Bath Welcomes Refugees. All it means is that you'll be kept abreast of events. Right. So we have events going on all the time. Um, it's been difficult during COVID, but we have feasts, the most amazing feasts, where some of the families cook fantastic food and we sell tickets um, we're hoping to open a supper club um, because we have such terrific um, cooks amongst the families. We're hoping to open a supper club. We have jumble sales. We have 50-50 sales. We have picnics and, and, and all sorts. So right. once you're a member, you'll get um, updates about all the events and activities. Yeah. And, and also you'll hear about sort of individual stories like, oh, we've welcomed a wonderful new Afghan family. Again, we can't give specifics, but we can sort of say, you know, um, you know, for example, one of our first refugee families, um, the, the father in the family completed his degree not very long ago at Bath Spa. And, you know, wow. we, can, we can't post his name, but we can say he completed his degree. His wife, who was a teacher in Syria, also completed a TA course and is now working. They're both working. Mm, um, so, so things like that. Yeah. It's lovely to be able to pass on, um, you know, nice stories that are happening. Absolutely, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you. Um, so we just have five minutes now on your uh, tables that are just little... Um, sort of coloured bits of paper with pens. So if you do have a question that you'd like us to Alice, if you could to ask Alice, if you could write it down on that piece of paper and just come and put it on the the sort of step here, and then um, we'll we'll um, yeah resume in five minutes, so twenty past eleven, and we'll ask Alice those questions. So also a good chance to top up coffee um, if you'd like to, and yeah, we'll be back in five. Great. Okay. Thank you for your questions. Uh, they're very good. And a couple are similar, so which is great. So we can group them together. So first of all, nice, nice easy one, Alice. Oh, good. <laughs> and not too hard, I promise. Um, how are you funded? Um, right. We About have you specifically, yes. Bath Welcomes Refugees. Bath Welcomes <laughs> Refugees. We are entirely funded through donations at the moment. Um, we, we, I forgot to, I knew there was something I forgot to mention. We're also a community sponsorship group. Um, which I should have mentioned yeah, because it's, it's a, the height of our ambition was to become a community sponsorship group, which means we take entire uh, responsibility for one family and do everything for that family without help from outside. Uh, we're entirely funded food donations is the answer. Um, we may get some funding with the Afghan family we uh, will be looking after soon, but we don't know definitely yet. But at the moment... Everything that we have comes from donations and the fundraising that we're able to do, or the fundraising good people that want to fundraise for us want to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, great, next question. How do you find the refugees in the first place? They come to us mostly through these government schemes, the VPRS, uh, UKRS, etc. Um, the, uh, the council will be the ones to say, okay, um, we're prepared to take a family of 
five or family of three or whatever, and then the council will say to us, we've got a family coming, there's, you know, can you... Or, or if we find a property, we go to the council and say, we've got a house, will you, will you let us take another family? Um, so they come to us through these schemes. If it's asylum seekers, then we hope with our new website that we're very visible to um, migrants, asylum seekers and refugees coming to Bath who will hear about us and see us as... If you, if you Google Bath and refugees together, hopefully you will find us. <laughs> right. Okay. And then um, a few people have just... Obviously, uh, we've mentioned that some of the, the experiences that refugees have are awful and hugely traumatic. And out of that comes the need to um, yeah, process a lot of that and perhaps mental health issues that might arise out of that. So what's some of the support that um, Bath Welcomes Refugees is either able to offer or, or refer or around mental health support for refugees? Uh, we, we are not experts, even though two of our committee members are clinical psychologists, by coincidence mostly. They don't work for BWR as clinical psychologists. We refer to the relevant agencies, so Trauma Southwest and other groups like that. Um, we work very closely with ensuring that everybody's got the mental health support that they need. It, it can take a long time to get that support for family members. It, it, it's not... Obviously, there isn't enough mental health support here or anywhere else in the UK. Um, so it, it can be a wait to, to get it, but they will all be given... Um, offered counselling at some point. Okay. Um, and a couple of questions that we had come in via email. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... A question around how many children and young people are currently in Bath that are refugees. So I know you'd mentioned about unaccompanied minors, and but yeah, and also a, a linked question around, uh, you know, what what happens in schools around support. Like, is there support? Are, are schools kind of and colleges clued up in how to support children and young people? I think part of our job is helping the schools become clued up. I think that's a very important part of what we do. Um, and that's why some of our volunteers go in as volunteer TAs as well, because I think traditionally in Bath, we haven't been so used to having a large migrant um, population. So for, for most of the schools that we work with, these were the first non-English speaking children that they had coming in. And, and that's been quite difficult for them. So we've tried to support them. And, and we also teach children as young as five um, in the family homes as well to help them with the schoolwork. We also run a study club one day a week for the children where they can bring homework. And um, if they don't have homework, where well, they've shown up without their homework, <laughs> we have other ways of working with them. So we, we help with sciences, maths, English, and Arabic at the study club as well. Um, and do you know roughly how many there are? Um, I would say, if, if we're talking about maybe 150 refugees by, the, by Christmas time, then half of those will probably be children. Slightly more than half, possibly. Um, at the moment, the only properties we can access are quite small properties, so they'll be for families with only maybe one child or, 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 or two children. Um, so we can only access, at the moment, one or two-bedroom properties. That's what we're being offered. Um, but in the past, we have taken families with as many as four children coming into the, coming into the country. I think that's all your questions. You got off lightly there. <laughs> they weren't. They weren't too bad. Um, great. So I think it, it would be wonderful for people, perhaps as a follow up to obviously follow you on social media, look at the shiny new website, and perhaps sign up to be a member or so that you receive updates and things. And that's a good way. And perhaps there's, there's a 
challenge for me are just about some of the little things that we can do to smile, to be friendly, to welcome people um, around. That's but fantastic. I know that um, you had you you're aware that this is part of our what if theme, and, and you said about reading something out which was based on on what if. So it would be great to end with with that. <laughs> okay, um, it, it's not a what if as in what if the world could be a better place. It's a what if as in what if you were a refugee. And it's actually from the book of Sir Thomas More, um, which is attributed to Shakespeare. In fact, it's the only piece of Shakespeare in his own writing that exists. Uh, Act two, scene four. <laughs> uh, should so much come too short of your great trespass as but to banish you, whither would you go? What country, by the nature of your error, should give you harbor? Go you to France or Flanders, to any German province, to Spain or Portugal? nay, anywhere that not adheres to England, why you must need be strangers. Would you be pleased to find a nation of such barbarous temper that breaking out in hideous violence would not afford you an abode on earth, wet their detested knives against your throats, spurn you like dogs, and like as if that God owed not, nor made not you, nor that the elements were not all appropriate to your comforts, but chartered unto them. What would you think to be thus used? This is the stranger's case, and this your mountainish inhumanity. It was actually written for the Huguenots. Um, at the time, the refugees were the Huguenots. And those of you who know my surname will know I have a Huguenot surname. <laughs> so I feel quite strongly about the Huguenots. Refugees have been here well, since biblical times, obviously. <laughs> um, so it's not something new. It's something that we've always needed to consider. And it's nice to know that even Shakespeare spent the time to think about it. Absolutely. And something we should always respond to. So, yeah. Um, Alice, thank you so much for giving up your time. On a it's been Sunday a pleasure. Morning. Thank <laughs> you, Joe. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.